Hello, my friends. I want to continue to express gratitude to all of our listeners. Every day I get to wake up and live my dream of bringing value to you and the next generation of technology leaders. When you tell your friends and colleagues about the Modern CTO podcast, we grow and gain momentum. I want to ask you to continue spreading the word. Please tell your friends at your tech meetups and anyone else who you know who's interested in hearing from the greatest technology leaders on earth. The more we grow, the more value we can bring you on a day-to-day basis. And that, my friends, is what I live for. So once again, I wanted to say thank you. Now, speaking of value, get ready for a value-packed interview as today we are talking to Pat Wilbur, the CTO of Hologram.io, and we discuss the future of 5G and what it means for the consumer market, the importance of bringing an in-house designer in as quickly as possible, and what steps are needed to address IoT security. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. First of all, I want to I want to tell you how much I absolutely love the design. Oh, thank you. It's like it's so good. <laughs> thank you. Um, if I can be kind of humble, I uh, we do actually receive a lot of um, praise for the design. But uh, still appreciate it. Um, that's been a a little while in coming. Like when we first, uh, I'm not going to bring it up, and please don't check us out on the Internet Archive Project to anybody listening to us. But well, now I am. Um, <laughs> we're live streaming it right now. <laughs> but we um, we it's been a little bit of, a little while in coming. Um, one piece of advice I give um, any I'd give to any startup is to bring an in-house designer in as quickly as possible instead of always relying on consultants. Because it's just very hard to get uh, to to hit like a a really good, um, I don't know, understanding of the company vision. And you lack, if you don't have an internal designer, you also lack their input into um, user experience and common design elements across the whole platform. That If it's a consultant, they're more focused on project based things it's kind of hard to achieve the next level of design if you're just working with a design consultant yeah well it's that consistency and that whole team family aspect of moving the project forward and having to live with your decisions versus being a bullet point check off the list contract project yeah exactly so i was real excited i read through your and just so you know because i've gotten a couple of questions about it recently we are recording like this is the podcast this is the real deal. Yeah, yeah, this is it. We just hang out. We talk, right? And yep. when we screw up, we just make sure to highlight that section in the notes. Cool. <laughs> no, that's cool. I was reading your interview on your blog that you guys did as a series of hologrammers. And they yep. ask you all these questions. And man, that is so smart because it allows me to get to know you and your people like w- before even speaking to you. And it is rare that a guest has one of those. So when I read it, I was like, this is so cool, man. I got to see you like crossing a beaver dam, trying to retrieve some satellite data. What was that? Yeah. So, um, a good friend of mine, a college friend, um, and I got into amateur ballooning before it was cool. Um, (laughs) we started sending up near space weather balloons, high altitude balloons, um, to photograph the earth um, and you know, it was just one of those things we were like, well, we're just going to do this. We're going to try to figure it out. Um, we'll order up some balloons if we can get these military supply companies to actually sell us them. 
Um, and we'll, you know, we'll just see if, if it makes it and we, if we can recover it. Um, yeah. So some of those photos, if you uncovered that, um, were us in the woods at night trying to recover the thing before the batteries die. Uh, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> we had to charter a small plane, um, to locate it because we lost contact mid flight as it was landing. Probably some of the batteries or systems froze up. And, uh, so we had to charter a small plane to listen for our, one of our redundant beacons, find the thing, land the plane, drive into, you know, Adirondack forest, basically in the middle of the forest and then go uh, on an expedition quickly before the batteries died. So it was this uh, definitely don't recommend doing it at home, but this like crazy off trail swamp hike in the middle of the night with things like making noise and growling and stuff. It was, it was awesome. It It sounds like the intro trailer, like a new call of duty video game or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I'm curious to know, what is Hologram? What does it do this way everyone can, can hear? Because I, I, think, I think I got it. It's, you got the, the, you're basically allowing all the hackers or all the home people to internet enable their devices through your SIM cards, but then you also provide lots of education and community around how to connect your devices to IoT. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Hologram, we founded it basically as a cellular IoT company, um, very developer-focused, maker-focused too, um, because, well, anyone who's developing, even in an enterprise, um, with this kind of stuff is is also a maker or also working with hardware very closely or what have you. Uh, so we're, we do have a pretty significant like developer community. We also cater to enterprise uh, deployments, but it's basically just getting IoT devices connected um, IoT is a, a very popular field right now, and it's it's right on the verge of just exploding in growth um, with both benefits and major problems um, that it's that we're going to be facing because of that. Um, and one of the things that a lot of companies aren't focusing on is the actual initial connection, which can be quite difficult if you know if it's a mobile application. Um, this thing's moving around. It's not going to be in range of Wi-Fi all the time. Or even if you're building a product that could, in theory, be on a Wi-Fi connection, it's really hard to configure stuff. Like user experience matters. So we we offer basically a turnkey plug-and-play, very simple to activate and deploy a device anywhere, and it'll just work anywhere in the world where 99% of people live, which happens to have cellular coverage. And we'll do that in a secure way. Um, so that's kind of our pitch, uh, but I don't think that's what we're here for today. Oh, that is exactly what we're here for today. I, I'm super interested in what you do. It reminds me of when I saw your, you were like brand first, right? Because I came across Hologram. Yeah. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is like if Stripe and Heroku had a baby that was an IoT company. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we've used that example. Uh, we we want to be, um, telco's not a sexy thing. Um, most people would agree who are in tech, who know anything about telco telco doesn't, you know, people kind of have this stigma with telco where it, it doesn't really, um, you know, change much. It doesn't really advance much. The reality is, um, we need it. It's just like any ISP, you need that infrastructure. Um, so you can think of us like being like a stripe for connectivity for, uh, telcos or for cellular operators where, maybe dealing with an operator directly is not um, going to be the best experience for you because they don't understand you or they're not providing the tools you need. 
Um, but we can wrap around that and we can and we can provide a, a common experience across hundreds of operators worldwide. So it's, Stripe is a great example of that. Yeah, I did a project like three years ago where there was these things like OB, OBD2 connectors. Oh, I think yeah. That's what they're called. And yep. yeah, and some a local shop was also entrepreneurial and they wanted me to internet enable one of these connectors and transmit data. And th- well, this was actually five, five, oh my goodness, five or seven years ago. <laughs> oh yeah. man, it's, it's sorry, t- time slippage. Um, so I started researching this and getting into it and it was not easy, man. I, I had to order some, it was like, like a, felt like a drug deal trying to get the chips and everything set up mm-hmm. and, and go around and everything was like in the brown unstyled unlogoed boxes. And it was just like everyone, every vendor had a little chip or a piece of equipment they would throw at you and just say, figure it out, like do it. And it was, and this was only five or seven years ago. And then when I, so when I saw you, I guess, you know, that, that was one of the things that made me real excited is like, oh man, I wish these guys had existed back then. Look at all these resources. Yeah, no, exactly. How are things going to change with 5G? Is that going to like, are you thinking about that? Is that big in your world right now? Yeah. So people um, are just starting to talk up 5G really heavily in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, 5G, um, it's, it's all about uh, driving many, many more connections uh, or higher connection density, um, and also simultaneously um, driving like ridiculous throughputs. Um, so the the cellular network um, is uh, ever since basically 4G, um, at least by 4G, it's been very like software defined. Um, it's using some really advanced radio technologies, very advanced antenna technologies. 5G is like the nth degree of that. So it's basically just um, how can we make networks that are um, going to handle millions or billions uh, more of IoT devices than um, you know than we've ever seen in one geographic area, while at the same time being able to keep up with consumer applications, which um, are are tend to be more bandwidth heavy. So 5G is kind of this like adaptable um, wireless fabric or spectrum. Um, and that's kind of the goal cool. of 5G. So it's going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. I was, at, I was out in at RSA and my Uber driver was telling me, he goes, if you think this is crazy, cause there was like what, 40 to 50,000 people there. He yeah. says, you should see it when Salesforce comes here because they have 120,000. He says it makes the Ubers sometimes not work well cause they can't get their internet connection. They're all competing because of the density. Right. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, the, there are a lot of assumptions that like 3G and 4G made um, before the IoT boom. Um, and now, you know, you can almost say that technology is kind of outpacing the network's ability to adapt. Uh, 5G is is going to be, you know, attempting to address some of that stuff. So will you have to change your devices at all? Like, how do you address that as a business? What it does, I don't know much about it. So I'm kind of hoping you're going to educate me real quick. <laughs> yeah, so... To use 5G, you have to change the devices. Um, a, like a 4G device can't really use a 5G network. That doesn't mean 4G networks are going to go away anytime soon. But one of the best things on the network side is since 4G is very software defined, um, some telcos literally can do software updates to towers to start enabling new features. I don't know to what extent they can switch from 4G to 5G because uh, that that really depends upon if 
if they've been preparing their deployments for this for a while, but it will help uh, make the transition smoother. Uh, so the good news is that like the network side, network support will be able to adopt 5G relatively quickly. Um, and then on the consumer and IoT side, you'll just need devices to start catching up. So when do they hit? Like when, when do 5G devices start? Like when can I start buying 5G devices? Uh, it's, it hasn't really been announced. Um, so not, not quite sure. Um, there's a little bit of a chicken and egg expert, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Why? Cause they don't have the 5G towers and then who's buying the 5G devices or. Yeah. So the, I mean, there are module makers that are doing, that have like deployed experimental 5G networks and are working on high, 5G hardware in house, you know, in a testing environment. Um, but the, there aren't any hard uh, dates right now on, on any of that stuff. Do you guys showcase your customers' work? Like, do you have an Instagram where if people are building stuff with the hologram chipsets or any of the things you sell that, that you, you should kind of show it off? I know you have a community tab, but I didn't dive too, too far into it. Yeah, so we, we do a little bit of that, um, especially on Twitter. And then we also have mm -hmm. a projects page where... Um, Will people will submit project ideas? We've actually run a few contests on there, so that's interesting to check out. Um, people uh, on the projects page uh, submit basically like a how-to, how to build whatever they're building. So that's very maker community focused. Mm -hmm. um, and then we often showcase things that our customers are doing on social media. That's awesome. And how large is the hologram team currently? Yeah, we're. Um, pro I think we're at twenty-two people. Uh, last I checked, so more than when we started. We've grown fairly quickly over the past few years. We started uh, end of 2013, beginning of 2014, with basically the initial co-founder. A CEO was the founder, and then he brought me on as a co-founder right around that time. Nice. Are you all mostly local? Or are you hybrid? What's the the division of your team like? Yep. We yeah. Most of the team is located right in Chicago downtown Chicago, basically a Midwest, you know, born and raised company. Nice. You know, the Midwest is a really interesting place um, to uh, build a business. And some of our investors are in the Midwest. They basically have started a, a fund in the Midwest and everything. And it's, you know, the, the idea is there's a lot of potential there. Um, it's a, it's not a bad location. There are other companies nearby, but Silicon Valley, while it had a um, a head start in being a a major uh, incubator for tech companies um, might not really be holding that foothold very long uh, or much longer. So the Midwest is kind of a an, an exciting new frontier. It's it's like a there's almost like a gold rush to the Midwest right now um, being talked about, which is kind of a cool thing. So it's been you know it's it's neat to build a Midwest company, a, a non traditional uh, tech startup in the sense that it's not in Silicon Valley. Um, but it's uh, kind of in an emerging uh, emerging area for tech. Companies. So what would that be? That that that's like Chicago, that area. Yeah, Chicago, and right up and down there, you know, Columbus. I guess probably would be included in that, even though I like Chicago over Columbus. Yeah, but they've got that big silver thing. Yeah, I, I don't know <laughs> what it is, but they do have that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's well, it's the thing you see on Instagram all the time. It's like, oh, that's Chicago. Right. Yeah. They're called. It's called the bean. I'm I'm just now informed. It's called the bean. Oh, and they also have the sky deck, don't they? Don't they have the yep, sky deck? There's the sky deck, and you can. There's some some thing that you can do if you want to experience what it would look like if you were falling off a building, which 
doesn't interest me, but Chicago is a really cool city. Uh, great yeah. restaurants, uh, good, uh, good transit system, good people. So, so the company they invest, like they're trying to get business to the Midwest. Cause you're right. Because you know, I'm thinking about it. You got the Northeast, right? I'm looking at a map now just to educate myself. So you got the Northeast, you got the New York, like no question there. There's business there. You got Silicon Valley, which is the West. No question there. You got Austin, Texas and Boston, which kind of like Northeast and South. Right. But it's like, where's the love for the Midwest? We need more companies building up there. No, exactly. Um, and you know, and in, in defense of the, of Silicon Valley, like if you've got a bunch of talent and people who know one another, you, you can get, um, you know, direct intros to people. You can get uh, referrals for hiring. Like there's, there's definitely like a, um, almost like a critical mass type component, you know, to starting a company where you got You have mm -hmm. to have a powerful network. And if you're in, in a neighborhood that is a powerful network, that can be very advantageous. Um, but there's definitely something shifting right now. And, uh, a lot of attention is kind of being pointed toward the Midwest as a, as a new frontier for tech companies, which is cool. So, so how did you fall in love with technology? I see that you worked at IBM and, and, but I want to go like farther back. Like what was your first experience with technology? Yeah. So, um, well, my dad, um, I've always had an interest in technology and business, uh, leaning mm -hmm. technology though. Um, as pretty much as far back as I can remember, my dad had, um, his own business actually he's, he built and sold a couple. So he's had a couple of successful exits. Um, and right around when I was four or five, he had this thing called a personal computer, you know, that he was using for work. And this was like, I'm not, it's not necessarily pre internet, but it was definitely before internet was in people's homes. Uh, this mm -hmm. is like before AOL. Right. And I remember, uh, so my earliest memories of technology were, remembering being with my dad, going over to his computer and him using a modem, this external box plugged into his computer <clears throat> and dialing into a bulletin board system to be able to download like supplier rate sheets for his business to do like a nightly update so he could make sure his pricing and everything the next day made sense. So this is like, you know, before you had a central point for the internet that you would dial into, you would dial into someone's individual server, or in this case, like a bulletin board system. Mm -hmm. And you'd, it was like an online magazine with some messaging capabilities and you'd download files. So you'd go, you'd find a file, you'd download it. Um, and so I just remember him typing in these commands to the modem, what are called AT commands, uh, to control the thing, to get the modem to dial out to a phone number. Um, and that was kind of interesting. Um, and then shortly after that, I was playing around on the computer because he uh, loaded up a game and kind of showed me how to load up games and um, issue some commands. And this was probably when I was around five or six. And I was playing on the computer. At one point, he walked out of the room and I got interested. He had a list of like uh, common DOS commands uh, yes. that he'd be yeah. using. And I got interested in like what some of the different commands did. And I ended up formatting um, his the drive that his accounting system was on, um, which like <laughs> just about probably I don't even really know how bad it cost his business, but it it I think took the months to recover from that uh, incident. Um, and following that, he decided that it was prudent since I had an interest in technology to get me my own computer. So I would not be <laughs> using his business computer anymore. Um, 
And then my, um, shortly after that, uh, my brother-in-law, I actually credit, um, him, uh, greatly in getting me like interested in programming and stuff. He was a, a computer scientist slash computer engineer, uh, working for Corning at the time. And he kind of introduced me to programming right around when I was seven, um, showed me kind of how to view QBasic code on a, on a game. And that, that really kicked it off. And so from there, I, I got interested into uh, programming. Eventually, when we got the internet, I was one of the first people in like my class that had internet access at home. So kind of became a computer hardware hacker, got really interested in uh, web and internet protocols and, and whatnot. So when you and Ben, you guys started the company, mm-hmm. I see he, he kind of started it. And then you and you guys were talking about, you knew it, then you joined your later like what was that process like like what was the reason for was there a pain point like how how did it exactly come about yeah no that's a great question um so it it really lines up well with the story that you told about like trying to get a chip and trying to get connected um ben and i both previously had uh worked uh, in a capacity where we were trying uh, for different companies where we were trying to utilize the cellular network um, to connect devices. Uh, he was looking to utilize the cellular network because the product that they were building, um, needed to be mobile and needed to be somewhere where Wi-Fi wasn't. Um, I was working in a capacity where we were trying to, um, use a cellular network to, to basically circumvent local networks, um, and to be able to, to enhance security. So you could have like a, a more secure, more, uh, private wide area network. And mm-hmm. both of us were finding um, in in those past lives uh, that we were having a really hard time getting connected to, to cellular networks, building the business relationships, even just getting a sample SIM that you could plug into a device and get connected and start building on was like a nightmare. Um, so we met um, online. Uh, we're talking. He had gotten the idea of, of starting an IoT connectivity company. Um, and we just started talking about meeting a few times, having dinner, talking about uh, the concept. Um, and we both had experience with this exact pain point, this problem of even getting a sample SIM is hard and not to mention then getting any sort of meaningful access or control or API access or what have you. Um, and yeah, just as we furthered that conversation, uh, you know, we we decided, yeah, we, we both felt it was the right time uh, for somebody to do this. And we decided, yeah, let's do this. Let's let's go down this insane journey that is uh, growing a company, you know. And how did you know when it was going to be viable? Like, at what? Like, who were your first customers? How did you approach the market? Yeah. So, um, well, early on, um, it was definitely him and me trying to close deals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so early, and, and I think that's true with uh, most companies when they start, they you know, you, you close your first few deals, probably the founders are closing those deals, right? Um, yeah. And then you, you at that point, are able to kind of demonstrate some viability. So we closed a few early deals. Um, we we uh, engaged in a partnership with a, a company that was um, kind of a hardware company that needed a connectivity offering to bundle in with their product. Others were um, more like a more traditional uh, sale. Um, and then hit the road fundraising. And I was really blessed. Uh, ben had uh, a lot of experience in 
growth and um, experience in fundraising and, and things like that. So he really, uh, you know, was able to land some some great uh, early investment in the company that then allowed us to to do some hiring, finish, make the MVP, um, you know, more than useful for more than a use case or two, <laughs> I guess, if you will, um, make it an actual reasonable product um, and then go from there. So were your first customers like like large enterprise ad- adaptations where they would purchase a lot of them or what did they look like? Yeah, they were. we landed a couple fairly large customers and medium-sized customers early on that, um, you know, where we were able to sell them on the vision um, and sell them on, oh, hey, so it's, you, you've got our phone numbers. You can call this the CEO and the CTO when you've got a problem. Uh, you know, that's always a... Um, I think that's very similar with a lot of startups when you land your first few big ones. Um, a lot of it is um, they're taking a risk with you, um, but at the same time, they know that they're going to get um, more access and more, um, uh, you know, more more people's attention, if you will, um, by working with a smaller company. So did you did you say, hey, you need this sort of platform? because you have a large set of these IoT devices and we're building our, this platform to so be our first customer? Is Did it go like that or no? No. Um, in some ways, we were solving a problem that just didn't exist or where, where a solution just didn't exist. So that made it a little easier, I think. Um, but to, you know, the, the convincing was, hey, we've got, we, we have knowledge and experience in this area and we can solve a pain point for you. Uh, if you work with us, we can we can make this a much better um, user experience or customer experience in that case. And did you have a pretty positive when you started setting up those meetings and going through it? Were they pretty positive, or did you have to did you get a little down because some people were like not into it? How did you deal with that? Like, I'm kind of interested in the human side of it. Yeah, and that's a good question. Um, so early on, I would say. Um, I mean, meeting with someone can be very useful for sales. So I think that in some ways we had it easy because we were uh, accessible, available uh, to meet, uh, do a face-to-face closing of a deal if we needed to. Um, So that was pretty easy. I actually think that um, more, uh, a little later on, the the bigger challenge was selling partners. So we're very reliant on you know, network partners and things like that, just selling people on our vision when, when we were kind of in that stage where we were still fairly small, um, but we felt we had a lot of growth potential, um, getting partner, the right partners, um, early on that would agree with our vision, even if we didn't have volume, that was, that was a bigger challenge to overcome. That took us, a um, a few iterations, um, before we, you know, we, before we really landed that and, uh, we're set to take off. At RSA, security obviously is like huge thing. And my question, like my thoughts when I was there and I knew I was going to be speaking with you is like, what's what's the big threat? Like what's going on with the IoT security? Because like tea kettles are getting hacked and like mm-hmm. it seems like there can be a lot going on. Yeah, so IoT security is big. People are like, kind of numb to computer security discussions in some ways. Like I think consumers are just assume things are insecure and are um, maybe a little disillusioned or unfazed by that right now. Um, people in the security community and in, in uh, tech community 
obviously understand it's a huge threat and it's actually going to potentially become uh, an even bigger threat. Um, IoT security is um, is extremely important, and we're we're at this really important um, like horizon right now with IoT devices, where IoT devices being resource constrained, um, being pushed through, pushed out the door, um, random devices that never were connected before being engineered by teams that maybe don't have much experience connecting devices are now connecting them um, and shipping them out the door. We're, we're running into this situation where we're going to have pretty much everything connected around us. And it's a lot of that is not going to be secure, whether it's because of um, just a lack of security knowledge or know-how among engineers or old ways of thinking like, oh, I'll firewall my network and that should be enough. Oh, but wait, now this the, I have a new attack vector behind my firewall due to my smart camera or smart smoke detector or what have you. Um, so whether it's just due to the, um, the attack scenarios changing or... Um, engineers having a lack of security knowledge or both, we've got a, a major, major um, problem that is potentially coming up. Um, also a major opportunity if people can figure out a, a, a great solution for that. Um, tech companies are going to need to be you know, taking this extremely seriously, especially as IoT gets closer and closer to uh, human life. You know, with things like connected cars, uh, medical devices, et cetera. Um, I mean, privacy is is a bad enough uh, threat, um, but human life is going to increasingly be becoming a threat. So tech companies really need to um, buckle down their IoT devices. Um, and we're probably going to see, uh, you know, a lot of that will be driven by regulation and even government regulations and stuff. So where's the spot to to and it, like to inject that? Would it be to convince the the like you said regulations one regulation like encrypting chips? I'm kind of stepping a little bit outside of my experience level, but like I was thinking to myself, all right, well, there's you know I program in Rails a lot, and mm-hmm. you do you have program you you obviously have programming experience, so you see the yep. frameworks. What they'll do is when the when people get comfortable, they'll be lazy. So what will happen is the people developing the lower level technologies, lower in the stack, they'll start adding security features down there so that the people up top who aren't thinking about it are still secure themselves. That's the thought I wanted to get off my, off the, off the top of my head. But my question is, where could that fit in and how could we use that concept over in, in the IoT? Would it be the chip manufacturers? Would it be people like you ensuring that your connections are encrypted like where would that be a good fit yeah um i think there are a few different approaches um i i mean to directly answer your question i think that multiple layers of security is um almost necessary so you've got you know maybe the network is firewalling and and maybe even protecting individual devices from each other we do a lot of that like on our cellular network side but you could imagine that even in the home um Mm -hmm. where maybe your wi-fi network doesn't let two devices talk to one another because they're not, they don't need to. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So more uh, firewalling and security depth down into the internal network um, is, is a great way to add a layer. Um, I think 
yeah, your connectivity chip manufacturers can can be a layer of defense. Um, secure boot and other um, secure execution environment approaches uh, can be another layer. So I think that overall, in general, we need a multifaceted, multi-layer approach because you've got to account for what happens if one of the layers either gets compromised, has a zero-day vulnerability, or just wasn't done right. Um, however, taking like a big step back from all of that, there's another problem, and and that is kind of what you were describing with well, if everyone gets if everyone gets lazy, lazy security can uh, you know can be very very ineffective. It can be even destructive to the overall security policy um, at any one of those layers, even. So I think that we need to see almost better communication between the layers, and whether this is a technological. Uh, communication, like it's technology talking with other technology and they're, they're working in unison to achieve the same mission. Um, or if it's people, like through regulation and attestation, like this thing does exactly this and we promise that and here's our certifications to back that up. I think either way, there needs to be almost like a, a cooperation between layers because if one layer doesn't really understand the threat model, they can unintentionally undermine it you know they can do they can do one thing that can make them the weakest link and and undermine the the overall application um so i think that there there's some sort of a communication aspect to it between the two layer the different multiple layers that um is going to be really important um and that's actually something that's not solved right now um so it's that's kind of an open problem we need to figure out how to, whether it's people managing the technology, like I said, with regulations, for example, or the technology helping to manage the technology, we have to kind of get the state of that to catch up, I think, to um, to, to be able to then evolve fast enough uh, w- along with the, the new threat models that are emerging. Yeah, I was reading this um, Xbox attack, I think it was in Wired Magazine. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you heard about that, but they, they actually used like one of the maintenance ports on one of the chipsets to actually attack the whole infiltrate the network. <laughs> no, and that's a perfect example. Um, I was I, I was lacking a specific example. That's a great one of what I mean by like the different layers. If you don't have this cooperation and understanding between the different layers, you can have one component that will pretty much undermine <laughs> the security on a network or on a system. Um, and and case in point, if you have debug interfaces that um, are unprotected um, because somebody either overlooked it or didn't realize its importance or how it affects the security of the rest of the system, um, then you have a new you, you've introduced an attack vector that can undermine the system. Yeah, because they might be thinking, well, you can't. All you can do is just read this, you know. Like all you can do is just watch this information, or you can only get in like these areas. But what they don't, if they don't have a full, and they're not expected to have a full and complete understanding of the entire system as a whole. But when you don't, you realize, oh, well, it, when you have this. Um, what did you call a debug interface? You have access yeah. to this one thing. And with that one thing, you have unpre- unfeathered access to the kingdom. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. So where is the future of IoT? Like, where do you see IoT in 10 years? And I'm going to make investment decisions based off of this advice. So <laughs> where do I see IoT in 10 years? Um, yeah. Well, 10 years from now, I think we won't see IoT. And what Ooh. I mean by that, yeah, ooh. <laughs> What I mean by that is um, 
I think like right now IoT is a it's kind of like a feature or an enhancement. Um, mm-hmm. At some point, I think um, in the next few years, like I think within ten years, easily. Um, it's going to become so ubiquitous that most of the IoT around us, uh, most of the things, um, are really more that the environment is connected. It's not in. It's not just individual things. Um, so I, what I mean by that is, you know, your your phone is, um, you know, has a Wi-Fi radio and a Bluetooth BLE NFC radio on board, in addition to a cellular radio. As you walk down the street. Um, 10 years from now, you're going to have devices that recognize unique serial numbers and identifiers on your devices and and basically are like a form of beacon technology. And those beacons are going to outnumber the devices that are interacting directly with you. So I think that, um, you know, 10 years from now, it's going to be more the environments are effectively smarter because um, these non-directly human-facing um, devices uh, are going to be connected. Yeah, it reminds um, me of the stingrays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a whole. Yeah. That's a. That's, that's another a whole interesting other topic. Yeah. Sorry, I've got a that's wide fine. array array of being a geek, <laughs> from <laughs> physics to technology, like the whole spectrum. I kind of play around with everything, um, just to you know, I don't know, because it's fun. You know why? Because we're yeah. we're makers. Like we like to play around and see what's going on. Everything's kind of technology. It's like, what can I make this device do? <laughs> yep. As long as we're doing good stuff with that. Hey, so real quick, I'm curious, your community looks awesome on your hologram. Like you got really engaged people and they're all talking about building stuff. I really enjoy that community. It looks really slick too. Is that built off of, what was it called? Like the Disrupt Project or, or um, what's, it starts with a D, Discourse? It's Discourse, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we built that. So is that, that working pretty well? Yeah, we built that page off of Discourse and yeah, it's not bad. It's... Discourse isn't a perfect uh, Q&A site, if you will, um, but it's mm-hmm. kind of a mix between Q&A and, and uh, forum, um, and it's working pretty well. Um, and then we have a lot of active uh, community management, so we have um, people who focus the majority of their time on interacting with people on the community, helping to support them, helping them to support each other, et cetera. Um, but as a tool, Discourse is, is pretty good. Um, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a set it and forget it thing though. You need to, you need to be actively contributing to community building. There isn't like a technological solution that, you know, you launch it and the community, uh, doesn't just build itself, even though that's kind of everyone's dream. Um, if you, if that makes (laughs) sense. Yeah. People just like, it's like when Snow White sings, like people just come out of the woods and start helping and building. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah. It's kind of yeah. like open source software. The dream of open source is, oh, if I make this open source, then other people are going to do all my work for me. Well, that it doesn't exactly happen that way usually. Now you've got a lot of new work now. Right. Welcome yeah. to maintaining the project. I see that message. I actually saw it this weekend. I was doing some uh, guard to auto run some of my tests and I saw like one of its plugins or like three of its plugins, different people are like, whoever wants to take over the project, let me know. So, yep. Awesome. Well, man, thank you for coming and hanging out. If people want to find out more about you, where do you hang out more? Twitter? You said you go on Twitter a little bit or LinkedIn. Um, I'm definitely more of a LinkedIn user as of late. Okay. Um, even though, um, it's kind of, you know, more 
closed platform in some ways. Since everybody's on it, it doesn't end up mattering that much. Uh, you definitely can connect to me on Twitter, but I'm you're not going to see many updates from me there. Nice. All right. So LinkedIn it is, and they yep. can just search Pat, P-A-T, Wilbur, W-I-L-B-U-R. Yep. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.